Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And all the world is football shape. It's just Hello, folks. It's Stephen Brand of the All Carded Podcast. We are brought to you by Global Scarves, and I want to thank everybody for listening this year. This has been a different year for the podcast. We lost some co-hosts, we gained some new followers, we gained a sponsor, so that that's always fun. Um, and we're ending the year. Hopefully, next week, if we get confirmation from this guest, and trust me, it will blow you all over. I'm not, not gonna, I'm not going to gloss it yet because it'll probably just purse it. But we'll be back on at our normal time next week. This week, we're on early, hopefully, because the president of the Houston Dynamo, um, Chris Kennedy, is going to call. And we're going to go around talking about replacing Dom Kinnear, you know, getting, getting back to what they were. Because the Houston Dynamo are one of, a, one of the great franchises in the MLS and just various other things about the Houston market. The gold cup that they just announced that there's a, um, I think the gold cup is going to Houston in, in 2015, or it might be con. There's, there's a whole bunch of different tournaments coming in the United States, but the welcome Chris in from, from a, you're in Portland, right? I am. Yeah. Just outside of Portland, Beaverton. Oh, nice. So, anyway, hopefully hopefully, uh, Chris Kennedy will call me. And anyway, if not, we'll just sit and talk for an hour about about the sport because it, I'm, sure he, I'm sure he's got a whole bunch of ideas. And I'm sitting here watching ESPN FC, which I don't get the concept that when ESPN put this little show together, they have all former Scottish players. I mean, I can understand Stevie Nichol because he coached the MLS. That that's right. But Craig Burley, really? Yeah, he was. Uh, you know, I I think he played in the nineties, if if memory serves, and um, uh, I think he was a midfielder, but but I could be wrong. I, I uh, played for Birmingham. If I had Wikipedia handy, I'd probably have a look. But uh, yeah. Yeah, there's all sorts of uh, pundits. You know, when when you talk about the guys, the the TV personalities, I watched a a movie the other day called Will, and it's about a young kid that's a, a, a Liverpool fan, and they uh, did some of a, a, a short bit of replay there on Liverpool beating. Um, God, who was it? Uh, they beat AC Milan, or it was Inter, I can't recall, in 2005 in Istanbul. It's AC Milan. That's yeah, AC Milan. Milan. And, you know, if, in the 90s, you know, I don't know if this is the case now, but I had such a flashback because the announcer, the play-by-play for that game was John Mutson. 
And and I so, think guys like you know Burnley and and Nickel and and uh, Robbie Earl and and uh, Robbie Musto and and all all the others, John Strong, etc. You know, I think they all fashion themselves to replace John Motson as probably the single best play-by-play caller for the uh, Barclays Premier League. I I just. It was so welcoming to hear his voice again on telly. I don't know. Have you ever yeah, heard John Motson do play-by-play, Steve? I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure I have because the, the the greatest thing with what the Internet is nowadays is you can find anything. I mean, you can find the calls of games from the 70s, 80s, and 90s of like from anything. I mean, they're... You could see even the um, 77 European Cup final live, not not live, but in complete on on YouTube. So I mean, it, it's it's fun. I mean, I love hearing those. I love hearing and seeing those things that as an American, I didn't, I would not have been able to see. It would it would have been nice growing up in the night in the 80s. If I had gotten to see Germany, Spain, it had, had what we have now, what these kids have now. I mean, the kids I coach watch Messi every week, watch Cristiano Ronaldo, have a, be- have a better understanding. Mind you, the 30-year-olds, the last, we always got soccer really maybe mid-90s at the most, and that was high school for us. These kids are growing up from a very young age, knowing knowing the good players, and that that's where I think the sport is going to grow significantly. Is that they're more used, they're more indulgent with the sport. That it's here, it's here to stay, and you're not having to find. And I I don't know if you've had to do this, where you have have to actually search to find a game to watch, that you have to go onto your computer. You don't have to do that anymore. NBC Live Extra has all the games. You can yeah. download an app and listen to all the games. As yeah, going on, I mean... Yeah, I was going to say, just to, to back up what you're saying, Stephen, it, it, you know, the, the atmosphere of the environment has completely changed here in the States compared to the 90s in the early 2000s, that's for sure. That's no question yeah. about it. Um, and I think kids might might start beginning to live, eat, drink football, soccer, um, and with the violence in the NFL, uh, maybe that'll sway some kids to to start playing a bit more soccer. Um, yeah, I completely agree. So, so what were the uh, what were the pundits? Offering there on ESPN FC. Oh, it's right now. It's actually Stu Holden, which I, I'm sad that Stu Holden's knees basically went out from underneath him because he was a fun player to watch with Houston. And it looks like we're still waiting for Chris Kennedy to, to call. And if not, we'll just sit here and talk. They're talking once again about Bayern Munich and their dom- their um, offensive domination. I don't know if you saw the pictures of. They just played um, Freiburg today, and Manuel Manuel Neuer 
was not in his penalty box the whole game. He was at the center line the yeah, whole game. You know, they they were – Pep was ha, has transformed that goalkeeper position into a uh, sweeper, so it allows him to add an extra attacker. Um, so I'm I'm not surprised in in playing Freiburg, who's not probably one of the better attacking teams in in the Bundesliga. Uh, that's that doesn't come as a surprise to me at all. Um, as a matter of fact, I think there was an article in Sports Illustrated not too long ago that talked specifically to that as well. Um, in what Pep's trying to bring to to Bayern, kind of a mixture of Tika Taka, as well as the up and down, highly athletic style of play that's that's in the Bundesliga, and you know that <laughs> that in saying that that kind of reminds me of somebody tweeted to me, uh, I think a couple two or three days ago, that the folks from MLS were going on in their podcast about how MLS was comparable to the Bundesliga, and you know that sure. that's so far from the truth. Um, you know that that's pie in the sky. I mean, there there is Bayern Munich uh, are probably one of the most dominating teams in all of soccer anywhere, um, and it it just beggars belief that that some of the soccer pundits for MLS soccer would would even begin to think they would compare the Bundesliga to to MLS. I- of being an equal footing. Yeah, I have a feeling what that is. And I actually, <clears throat> I talked to the host of MLS Extra Time. He's Andrew Weeby. He's actually a um, Kansas grad like me, which still makes, it makes me happy. But the fact that he just graduated and works at the MLS, makes it just kind of makes me shake my head because I'm 35 and don't have a soccer job, which uh, so that that's just being young. But anyway, I have a feeling what that is, and this is the huge issue I have with league-controlled media and working with league. Because I've been, I've been asked many times before why I haven't applied for a job at the MLS, NFL, NBA, and all that. And I said, I, I put it point blank: I don't believe in censorship. I don't believe that your words should be. I mean, within reason, I, I mean, editors should be able to say that was wrong or don't go that far. But the problem I have with these league stations, and I've got satellite radio. I listen to the NFL Network pretty, pretty much constantly at this point, um, is that they're trying to – they have the rose-colored glasses. I mean, I expect next week if the Arsenal-Liverpool game is great that someone in MLS media is going to say that, well, don't you know that that's Bruce Arena's style is the same? No, it's not. MLS is 20 years old. Yes, the EPL is, what, 25 at this point? But England, the Bundesliga and La Liga have been around for 100 years, folks. So we're not them. And when these Euro snobs, and I'm one of them, stops trying to compare ourselves to them, we will get better. But the problem is, and you lived in you lived in England for a while, 
is that we are so fascinated with the shiny, happy thing that we have to compare ourselves against it, and that's just wrong. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree uh, nonviolently 100% there, Stephen. And, and, you know, I'm kind of glad we're on this topic because Alexi Lala said something during the uh, MLS championship game that I thought was pretty interesting. You know, and, and I like how Alexi speaks out. He's not part of the corporate MLS as far as I kind of envision it. Uh, he, he said the league was a league of stars. And, you know, I'd kind of expand on that and say it's a league of of uh, minimal stars compared to, uh, you know, the, the better leagues across across Europe and even in South America. Or even, you know, I mean, I don't follow Mexican soccer a whole lot, but... Um, you know, the the thing, and this kind of gets onto a topic that I wanted to talk to Chris Canetti about if if he does end up calling in, is the uh, the collective bargaining agreement and the raising the salary cap to enable teams to spend more money on mid-level players. And, you know, I don't mean mid-level players as in being critical of, of somebody like a Will Johnson or, or somebody like... Um, Eric Alexander, or, you know, name somebody who's not a DP but's on a good salary that, that plays in MLS. And, you know, that that that's where there, there's a big difference, I think, the biggest difference. Uh, in, it impacts passing and control of the game like like you wouldn't believe. I, you know, I really think if MLS is, is interested in, in making themselves stronger in terms of the market – they really need to increase that salary cap for players that are non-DP and non-kind of, uh, you know, in a kind of a development type stage. And, and you know, I, yeah, I, I don't know if I see it. What do you, do you think the the CBA might might end up allowing uh, MLS franchises to expand a bit more on their mid-level money? I would hope so. My fear, and you, you, my fear with this, is the MLS trying to get, trying to say that they lose all this money, that they can't put more money into the teams because it's a joke. It's a joke how little these players make. Outside of the Landon Donovan, well, Landon's not around anymore, but like the Will Johnsons, Diego Valeri's. I mean, if you look at the roster and the um, salary of the Portland Timbers, I mean, you could look, you could look through and laugh at it. And I think this was I think this has all been a reaction to the league being scared of going out of business, that they don't want to fail, so they're going to be so tight with their money. I think what has to happen is they've got to kick they've got to kick up that salary floor by at least 30000 That the minimum, the minimal, uh, a top, your, uh, your top 25 who play on a regular basis has to be at least 60000 And you have to, you have to put in a fourth DP. I'm sorry. I mean, I know the LA Galaxy fans are still ranting and raving that Bruce Arena put the third DP on Omar Gonzalez, and they couldn't get someone like Frank Lampard to come out or 
Kaka to come out or Ronaldinho to come out because they used another one. I think realistically in these big markets, and I don't know if Portland could use a fourth DP, but it would probably would love a nice another their type of player there, is to raise the raise the floor because it's not like this league is a joke around the world. There are players that like the league, that want to come over. But are you going to tell Michael Essien, who's been at the top of the game, playing at AC Milan, playing at Real Madrid, playing in France, playing at Chelsea, that, oh, you're only going to make $3 million a year. To him, that's, that's for him going into poverty. Now, you could put a DP on Michael Essien, but he's not a huge name. You have to do it because you're going to run out of players that are going to want to come over. The next generation of great players is young. I mean, Lionel Messi's only 27. Cristiano Ronaldo is not too far behind. Neymar's not even 20 yet. So you've got some time to develop some players and what if you what if you want the U.S. national team players to start coming back? Is Nick Stiskerud going to leave Rosenberg for a DP contract at Colorado for a junk, for a junk salary and have nothing around him? No, you have to make this league actively competitive to have good player recruitment, or it's just going to be this is you're going to have the same four teams every year. Be able. I mean, look at last year what it was. You had you had L.A. and New England Revolution, two big two big markets. What happens if Colorado and Columbus get in there? They don't have the money. It's it's sad. Well, it it, it proves parity works if if Colorado and Columbus get in there. But you know, I I got a flip side kind of. Uh, I won't call it an argument, but. But with respect to the the salaries, here here's another issue that I saw, and I think I've seen it actually for the last three or four years now, is when you look at the reentry draft, phase one, only three players were taken, uh, Finley and two goalkeepers, both from uh, both from Kansas City. One went to San Jose, and I can't remember where the other one went to, but. You know, it, it, it's interesting because the phase one re-entry draft means the teams, the other teams have to accept the salary as written. The contract is written. Now, there was probably 50, 50 players, I think maybe more, maybe a little bit less, that were available for the re-entry draft, both phase one and phase two. And and I I think it's striking that in the last couple, two or three years, there's been minimal players taken in phase one. And I don't look at that as being poor quality players. I look at that as being potentially overvalued contracts where the league is paying too much for regular players. And the teams within the league see that and say, no, I'm not going to buy into that contract. I'm going to wait and get him for a cheaper price, because in my view, as a league kind of member, 
per se, speaking as a, a general manager, I'm not going to pay that much for that player. I'm going to pay what I think the market value really is. So, you know, I think MLS needs to look really, really hard because when these players sign contracts, they're they're not signing for the Portland Timbers or they're not signing for Colorado or, or New York. The contract is signed with MLS. And in that contract, it says they'll play for a specific team. But like DPs are finding, you know, or Americans coming back from overseas, they they might be sent to another soccer club. Um, so you know, I think there's I think there's big concern on overpaying. At least that's my view of players in poor contracts. And I think that minimum number of players taken the reentry phase one is an indicator of that. Um, and you know, when we see how phase two plays out, you know, it'd, it'd be interesting. Um, and and a, a friend of mine who who writes on Soccer Yanks is, I think, is going to dig into that. That when the phase two is done, they're going to look back and they're going to see what the drop in salary was between the previous year and the new year with their old team versus their new team. Um, so that that's kind of that's my story, and I'm sticking to it with respect to that uh, reentry draft and that that dollar issue, the mid-level players. Uh, it looks like as of right now, Chris Kennedy has still not called in. So we're going to still talk. We're going to still talk around all this issue. Oh, I. The other problem I have, the other joke that I have with this thing, well, not a joke, but what makes the whole league kind of a joke, all these freaking drafts for players. I mean, the league controls every little player. If you have a draft for this, a draft for that, a draft for this, a draft for that. What other soccer league has a draft? None of them. I mean, I know the college game isn't great, but you should be able to sign the players right out, kind of like what baseball does. And you don't have to have – there should be free agency. Like, the one of the reps, one of the reps for um, the players' union – MLS is saying all we want is free agency and more money. That's reasonable. I mean, these players hold their rights. I I think Portland still has Jonathan Bornstein's rights. He's not coming back to the MLS. He's he's off somewhere in like the lower divisions of Mexico right now. Why would he bother in coming? The uh, New York the New York Red Bull put a discovery claim in on on Steven Gerrard. What other leagues put in discovery claims on their players? The actual teams can do this. Now, I'm not one of those get rid of single entity, let's fly a banner over MLS Cup because promotion relegation has to happen. That's not me. They have to loosen the reins on these teams. We don't have we don't have owners. We don't have stupid owners in this league. the The NBA type owners haven't made it into MLS where they're hiring and firing right away or making boneheaded trades. It it just baffles me what the league makes these teams go through. 
to get these players in. I mean, they have these academy systems and the homegrown players, but you still have to draft. Really? I mean, does this make any sense to you as being an out, outside fan of the MLS? You know, good question. I mean, here, here's kind of the thing I think about with respect to, like, the college draft for, for soccer is it's not on comparison when when it comes to quality with respect to the NBA or the NFL. So so from a parity standpoint, the college draft for, for me is is almost meaningless. Um, the the other interesting thing about the the college players as a whole is when's when's the last time you saw a college player selected for the U.S. men's national team while they're in college? Um, Jordan Morris. Okay. He's at Stanford right now. He was. You mean you mean for world? You mean for non-friendly te- games? Yeah. When when's the last time? You would probably have U twenty three, U twenty one, U twenty, U eighteen. Well, well, probably U eighteen is probably the wrong age group, but U twenties. How how many of them were college players? I should probably you know, have a board. Caleb Porter that, but, you know... Uh, yeah, because, I mean, he was they, a U-20 coach. I'm sure he took... I'm sure he, when he was, he took some of his um, F-bomb players with him. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt if at some of those lower levels. The other person to talk to would be the Rowdy's new head coach, Thomas Ryan. Because he, he was a U-10... He was a U, I think, 18 coach for a bit, and I, I'm sure that that's where some of them come from, because... And I don't think the other one was in the U-20s because I don't know if he even went to college. Yeah, Yedlin played uh, right fullback for, for Akron. He played a year for uh, Caleb Porter. Um, actually, because okay. I, I, I actually saw him play on television when the Zips were playing somebody. don't remember who it was. But, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I won't belabor that point because I'm, I'm not okay. smart enough on, on how many college players have have tried out or worked out with the U.S. men's national team. But, you know, to me, the the the, the ultimate with respect to, to being a top soccer player in the United States is you're selected for the for the men's national team. But, you know, getting, getting back to the drafts, I mean, you know, there's the phase two is coming up and the college draft is coming up and there was the expansion draft. And it's like, you know, there there was a front office deal Made straight away. Donovan Ricketts was picked number one, and Jorge uh-huh. Villafania was pulled right off the the list. And you know, there uh, collusion's the wrong word, but organized structure on who was going to pick when for what certainly set up the conditions so that the uh, Timbers would not lose Jorge Villafania. Um, uh, Gavin Wilkinson almost admitted that full stop in a podcast he did with with one of the the local podcast groups here in in Portland. Um, So, you know, you don't know how much behind the scenes kind of takes place. I mean, the the other interesting thing was is, you know, Brian Gallego for for the Timbers was his his rights were traded for, and now he's been released. So, uh, you know, all the the work that that the Timbers did to, to get 
Brian Gallego a couple of years ago because he was a good college player and a U23 player. You know, he he's not cutting it in the MLS. I think he's he's out there to be picked up as part of the re-entry draft if he gets picked up by anybody. Um, but yeah, a lot of drafts, and you know, I, I mean, you know, from from my standpoint. I'm I'm probably spoiled. I won't say I'm a Euro snob like you, Stephen. <laughs> but I think I'm spoiled uh, because of the quality of control that I see on a regular basis when I watch European football. So so you know when I when I compare things or filter things, um, you know that that's what I got draw on. Um, I actually uh, sent an email to Jamie Clark, who's who's uh, the head coach for UW. University of Washington, and he he said he'd he'd love to be on the podcast sometime here in the near future, and um, so it'd be interesting to get his perspective. I know we've talked about it privately, but um, you know there's certain things that you can offer up on the air and certain things that you don't. So uh, hopefully we can get him on sometime in the, early in the new year to to get his perspective on college. Oh yeah. That- that, that definitely would be fun. It would also be fun to get Caleb Porter because he's seen both sides of it now, and even with being a U-20 coach in the U.S. national team, to, to see the different styles. I mean, I'm sure there's some stuff he can't say because being, uh, being an MLS employee, he's got to watch his mouth on, on air, and I, I don't blame him one bit. But this, it would be fascinating to actually sit down with, with someone that's part of the MLS and just Listen to what they what they have to do for like a season. I mean, it, that would be a fascinating book if someone wanted to do the tedious research for it. Just it kind of like what Moneyball was for baseball is to to do like sit down with Gavin Wilkinson for a year and just see what it's like. Yeah, sure you know I. Well, I've talked to I've talked to a couple guys. Tim Crawford, he's with New England Revolution. Um, you know Ben Napper, obviously, who's the chief of stats for Arsenal FC. And you know I'm not going to put words in their mouth, but but I've got a you know a, a good idea of of how the MLS teams, most of them, work with respect to stats versus uh, teams like Arsenal or you know FC Bayern or or uh, any of the other top leagues or top clubs in the leagues. And, you know, MLS is a little bit behind, but, but I won't say they're too far behind uh, because they're, they're very much into the athletic performance part of, of the game of soccer. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if they study the, uh, the ins and outs of, of the pass and move quite as much. I think most of them rely on video uh, to do that. And, you know, here, here's the hard part, Stephen, with some of that stuff is, you know, you can look at statistics, and, you know, I, I was talking with, with another uh, friend of mine the other day about expected goals, and, you know, that that's a popular statistic for, for people that are on the outside. But, you know, expected goals has nothing whatsoever to do with the team as it p- prepares to go from watching the video of the previous game to preparing and training for the next game in a three- to five-day window. Expected goals has nothing whatsoever to do with that. So teams could care less about expected goals. It's a fun statistic for fantasy types 
I think. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's it's all about performance, passing, and control. I mean, passing's the the thing that's done the most. And like Pep, you know, with, with Bayern Munich, I mean, every week, as, as far as I understand it, based upon that article from SI and in, and just in actually watching them train twice, you know, that's what they train. That's what they do. They pass, they move, they pass, they move. Every single training session. Um, so, so like a passing statistic would be a great statistic. Um, and, and I don't think anybody that's MLS or Bundesliga or EPL doesn't recognize that. Um, I think the hard part, and, you know, Caleb mentioned this at the end of the season. He said, this has been the toughest year for me ever because I've never, ever had a defensive I've never had a team that was this poor in performance defensively. And he really had to scratch the gray matter to figure out the solution. Sadly for the Timbers supporters, you know, figuring out that solution, you know, ended up coming a bit late, you know, like three points late or like one game late because they lost to Toronto three to two in the second half when they were up two nil the first half. Um, But I don't know if that answers your question or not, but it, but I think from a statistic standpoint, they're they're basically on par. Uh, but there are teams that are really really out there. Um, I, I'll give you a comparison. Who's the top team in the NBA on the Eastern Conference this year? That'd be Toronto. Toronto, right? Guess what Toronto does. And this this. What Toronto does was actually a topic of discussion by ProZone at the World Conference in Science and Soccer this this past year in Portland. Toronto runs simulators, a a digital simulator, and and obviously basketball is on a smaller court than soccer, which has got more players as well. But, But Toronto does statistical analysis that includes forecasting where time and space is going to be available based upon the habits of years and years and years of studying video. They've overlined, they've, they've developed a system that, that encapsulates all their games that they've had over a period of time, and they've, they've tracked where historically there's going to be space in time to take a shot that has the best opportunity of scoring. And it's paid off completely this year. They're they're one of the best teams in the league. Now, does every team in the NBA do that? I don't think so. Um, but, uh, you know, more and more. I mean, even, you know, I was going to ask Chris Canetti. They've, they've hired uh, a new GM. You recall his name? Oh, it's something like Matt James or something. He's like, like yeah, he, yeah. He's, he's, he's a stats guy. He's a performance guy. Um, and you know, Owen Coyle just got just got hired to replace Dominic Kinnear. And you know, I mean, obviously he comes with baggage. Uh, you know, he did an open house on Twitter the other day, and and fans from Burnley and, and Bolton Wanderers just climbed all over his him for. I think Bolton is. Was it Burnley? He 
he bolted from Burnley, I think, after three or four months. And they they called him a traitor and all that kind of good stuff. But, you know, the, the thing with Owen Coyle is, is he's going to bring the pedigree of playing a team that didn't have high passing paid players, but he he played a team that had to scratch and claw to play against teams like that. So he's going to know what high quality players are. Um, and and he, he would have got that from statistics because, you know, when you get promoted from the Champions League to the Premier League, you know, there there's millions of pounds that, that open up and they don't spend all that money on players. Um, no, so I don't know. That's probably a long-winded answer to your question, Stephen. But uh, it's sometimes when I'm searching for ideas to talk about, I don't mind the 45-minute response to something. Oh, uh, yeah. looks like we're gonna go through it. It looks like we're gonna go through this podcast without Chris Kennedy. That's okay. We'll reschedule him for sometime in the new year. The new year is gonna be interesting because we're gonna launch. A, I'm hopefully gonna find the Indiegogo campaign that I was going to launch at the end, start of this year to keep the show on, but I'll, I'll figure that out. Um, but anyway, I was interested in why Owen Coyle came over here. I mean, he must have not had many job offerings over there. I mean, he left Bolton, he left Wigan, of St. Johnstone, I mean, you would think among all that there would be enough of a response to him, or maybe he just wanted, maybe he's like Stuart Pierce and just wanted the coach over here, wanted, found the game more interesting. Because I know Stuart Pierce, before he got um, the Nottingham Forest job, was on Fox Sports 1 openly saying, hello, MLS, come and get me. I want a coach. I want to coach here, and I will coach here eventually. He, he has said it, and there's some other, I think Dave Megson, I think he's the old um, Leicester City coach, has said the same thing too, is that he'll come over. If it's given yeah. the opportunity, he'll, he'll, coach, he'll coach over here. And I find that interesting that there are coaches overseas that want to come over here because I'm noticing with a lot. I'm noticing with some of the training videos I'm watching here that I'm not seeing from England, not England, but overseas. Is what we do is a lot of just passing and standing training. Whereas overseas, I, I mean, now I'm not saying I study coaching tapes because that's not that's really not that possible. But like, um, the one of the best club channels to follow on YouTube is the um, Bayern Munich one because they actually do the practice. They do a bit with practice, with Pep Guardiola's practice where they show you what he's doing. And mm-hmm. his practices harken back to Johan Cruyff when Guardiola was a player under Cruyff. And Cruyff goes back to the 70s with Rennes Michaels, that whole total football moving constantly. And I find that that's going to be something that's going to, Owen Coyle is going to have some trouble getting used to because these managers that have come from overseas have struggled. I mean, Ruth Hewitt, who once again is used to the passing and the less restrictions on like 
struggled mightily. And in fact, he struggled so badly managing here that he never went back to coaching. He's he's gone right back into um, punditry. I'm interested to see that if someone, if he, Owen Coyle takes the time, how is well, he going to affect practice? Why? Well, I I think he will. I th- I think he's going to come in. I mean. He, you know he he's he's been a head coach for for teams that are on the the lower half of the table in the Premier League, but you know at the same time he's also been a coach for teams that have been on the top half of the Champions League. Um, and you know if I had to compare uh, you know MLS to to any league, it's it's either the Champions League, Championship League, Champions League, or League Division One. I I'd probably say it's probably more more on par with the Champions League. Um, so you know, I think he'll, he'll actually probably come into Houston and and do quite well. Um, just just given that uh, he'll, you know, I think he'll probably have front office money. I, you know, I actually I was going to ask Chris Canetti too about this, whether or not Demarcus Beasley is retired or something like that. I saw a tweet from Canetti about Demarcus Beasley, but. No, I think I think oh, no. Be, no, Beasley retired. Beasley only retired from the national team. Oh, okay. Well, that's good news for Houston then. But uh, no, I, th- I think Coyle's going to come in and and uh, you know I think he's going to change their style. Um, uh, com- completely compared to Dominic Kinnear. I mean, the first place he's got to start, and and I would have asked Chris this is you know how they're going to do on the road. Um, it, that'll be something new for Coyle for sure because he's not used to traveling six hours by plane or five hours by plane. And he's going to have to do that when he plays Vancouver. He's going to have to do that when he plays Seattle um, and, and Portland. He, you know, and then when he goes up north to New England, if he's got to play them, you know, he, he's, he's got, he's got to deal with the travel, um, which I think, you know, coaches with MLS experience, you know, that's old hat for them dealing with the travel. But uh, with Coyle, I think that'll be something new. It'll be a challenge for him because it'll, it'll take touch time away from him with the players. Um, that's that's kind of how I, I view Coyle. I, th- I think it's a positive move, certainly for the Western Conference. Oh, I think it's a positive move for the league, to be honest with you. I mean, they could have just done – they could have just done – the normal thing what most MLS teams do if they can't find a leech red is just raise one of the former players. I mean, Brian Shane is one of their assistant coaches. I think he's coaching the reserve team. They could have just brought him up like Colorado did with Pablo Mastorini or DC United with Ben Olsen is just bring the, bring, bring in Brian Shane and just go with, just go with how the rest of it is. I mean, I, they 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 thought outside the box, which means which kind of means Chris Kennedy was trying to adapt to the new whatever the new MLS is. I mean, we're, we're going to come to a point where Sadie Schmidt and Bruce Arena are going to retire because they're 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 getting up there in their coaching way. I I still I still see that if Sadie Schmidt gets his title within the next year, he's gone because. That's three play. That's three MLS teams. He's got a title that 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 will have usurped. Um, ben, ben Olsen. God, I keep doing that. Um, Bruce Arena. I, I see these young 
coaches, I, and hopefully Owen Coyle is not the last from overseas that will be coming over to coach here. And I would hope eventually like a Neil Lennon would come over. Well, you know, uh, yeah, Chris Canetti actually admitted, I think, in an article that got published on Major League Soccer in, in our Reddit because of in preparation for a potential interview. But, you know, he, he said Owen Coyle wasn't even on the radar. And it was Coyle who called him. Uh, and he said that the dialogue and the discussions went from there. So so Coyle wasn't even, wasn't even initially considered. Um, so... You know, I I think this this probably had to do with Coyle doing a good salesman's job on on selling what he knows about the game of soccer and probably how his coaching of teams like Burnley and Bolton and and uh, Wigan etc. put him in a good position to be able to coach a team like Houston because um, especially when you look at look at him their results this year, you know that they, they were just downright terrible so you know it's you're you're looking at a remake and i'm sure coyle's bringing the pedigree of having contacts in europe with him um and maybe that's something else that the collective bargaining agreement will do too is allow for more international players um you know i i think like in for the canadian teams it's like you got to have three canadians on your team on your roster you remember the old epl days before it was the epl I think it was just called the the uh, the or maybe it was just the EPL at the time before it was Barclays. I can't recall, but you know I think sometime in the nineties the the English Premier League decided you know forget that after the Bosman ruling. I think it was where there had to be a minimum of X amount of British players on the club. You know I I just don't get that. How you know there's virtually few maybe maybe on one hand five top quality canadian players that that are on comparable status to other european players maybe and in vancouver toronto and montreal are they they got to carry three each that's that's three slots gone uh, i don't get it I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think there ought to be more international players. Yeah, it's kind of like what Europe used to have in the 80s and 90s, where it's the three foreigner rule is that you, they, they used to hamstring Spain to no end because Barcelona used to used to go and get the Brits. They they at one time had um, Mark Hughes. Um, Hughes was there. There's um, there's a couple others from the 90s that was over there. And, and um, Phil Brown, he does um, he he does the beyond the pitch show. He he's Irish. He was talking about that. He was talking about the same thing you're doing is that the three British rules. He says, folks, here's why Scotland was so good for so long because because Scotland's part of the UK. You could just go open the floodgates and bring them all in. I mean, that's what built Liverpool in the 70s and 80s was basically Scotland. Built all that. I most of most of the early Alex Ferguson teams were his Aberdeen. He brought his base basically brought his Aberdeen team down to Manchester United in the beginning and transferred in the Diego Maradonas or oh, there, there's another Ortega. 
or stuff like that. They weren't just going to be able to get them in. And that's kind of one of the things that strangles the league here is the lack is that you have to carry some Americans. Our, our players aren't good enough to stock a full team yet. I mean, Landon Donovan said recently that he doesn't consider himself world class. Yes, yeah, certainly not now, I would have thought. I mean, his, his pace and his touch probably aren't near what they used to be when he was a young guy playing for Everton. Um, yeah, he, he, yeah, he has said he doesn't consider himself for, um, first class, world class at all. And, and that, of course, that sends shockwaves through all MLS because they have to safeguard all their top players. I mean, you think of someone like Tim Howard, who's been over in England for, what, 12 years at this point. He's not even one of the toppers over there, but he's still a hell of a goalkeeper. I mean, yeah, he, I mean he's, not, he's not... Yeah, he's not a, he's not a walk-in-the-park goalie, but people people would say he's not top of the line. And you've made, you made the discussion about Michael Bradley. Michael Bradley's a very good player. Don't get us wrong. But as far as judging Americans is saying, and this is where us Americans get too raw, starry-eyed, is that every player is great. Like the whole Josie Altador thing. Josie Altador in England is horrible. He is absolutely horrible. If you bring it back here into the States, put him at something like, New York City FC, he would tear the league up. He would tear the league up completely. Yeah, I don't know if I'm that convinced. I think he'd probably. I hopefully he's he stays in Europe. But there's a couple of clubs that are courting him now. Um, you know, I kind of think you know that's this is kind of the mixed discarude thing too, which which actually I kind of applaud mix for staying overseas. Um, I mean, here, here's the thing. MLS is a franchise, okay? It's in America. But, you know, if if you're going to be a franchise and, and you want to compete against the best, then then why do you limit yourself to say you have to have so many Americans and so many Canadians on your team if you're in Canada? I mean, he, here's the thing. If, if you're going to compete, and you want to be the best, why would you artificially put a filter on the type of the the nationality of the player that you can play in the league? It it just doesn't make sense. Especially when you look how US soccer and MLS are two different beasts going down two different roads at two different times. I mean, you know, they're they're not a, you know, a, a brother from another mother. Um, they're they're two separate entities, and I mean, Klinsman continues to draw that line, which I think is great. That the quality in MLS isn't what it needs to be to provide a proper filter and and fruitful ground to bring up players for the U.S. men's national team. And, 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 you know, maybe Garber's on his way out because I think he kind of alluded that once once the team, once the league gets to 24 teams, he's out the door. At least that's what I gathered on the MLS championship game. But, 
you know, there there's just so many things. Maybe my expectations are high, but there's there's so many organizational things that are not proper from from my standpoint, my filters uh, for MLS to succeed and be a top a top league in 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 the world. It's just too many, too many notes. Well, I don't think it's good. Well, I don't think it's going to be a top league. I, I and I I did hear that with with Garber, but we also got to remember is Garber's not a healthy man anymore. He's got cancer, so he's probably looking at this going, I have to, I have to say something. Now he's not Garber's not an old man. I mean, Garber's maybe fifty four to fifty six, if that. I mean. I, he's not he's not an old man by his stretch of imagination, so he could stay around ten years easily. But I think I think he's at the point where he's done w- with all this. Is that the the new blood has to come in, the the league has to prosper, and I I think the real test of his leadership will be what is this new CBA going to do with the league? Is it to keep status quo, keep everything low? Just to just to appease the heads, or are they going to strike out and make themselves better? Because I think the league and soccer are at this point in this country where it it's about to burst and make it big. Now it's not going to be Germany, Spain, England, Scotland anytime soon. That's that's going to take a while. It's going to take maybe another twenty years, but we're finally seeing games. We're finally seeing World Cup being big. I mean, I live in Buffalo, New York. I have an amateur team here in town. I don't have any big teams. We had six to 7,000 during each World Cup game watching the games in Buffalo, New York. Now, of course, upstate New York, is known for Abby Wambach on the women's national team. And we, we've developed some pretty good players, but for being a soccer hotbed, we're not. And, I mean, Portland, I mean, Cascadia region, my God, you guys are you guys are like a European fan base, to be honest with you. I mean, it's, it's fun to watch the Timbers Army. That's uh, 90% of the reason you want to watch watch the Timbers. It's only just bad. I just don't – the only – the only scarf I don't have is a Timbers one, but that's I don't that'll come in the new year. Oh, you anyway. gotta send me your uh, you gotta send me your address, and we'll see what we can do. Yeah, I, I got I, like I, three or four myself, and every once in a while they hand them out free at the stadium. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll give you but a, it's no. Yeah, you know, it's, speaking it's of Timbers, you know they, they've acquired Nat Borchers and. You know, I don't know if you've seen the the picture yet, but with uh, him in a uh, a Pendleton type of you know lumberjack shirt and blue jeans and in a you know double bladed axe, he he looks pretty awesome standing yes. there at Timber Stadium. Um, I just oh, hope yeah. that he's I've got the legs to to uh, to play on the on the artificial turf. Uh, I don't know I, if Rio Tinto was an artificial turf stadium or not, but um, 
you know, he, he's not the fastest of guys, and and I hope people don't see him as a panacea, um, where he's he's going to be the know all end all. But you know, he'll certainly add strength. Um, but they've also signed the uh, the new left back, which I think will compete with Villafania, plus Alvis Powell. So, um, you know, it'll be be interesting to see. Um, you know, one thing I'll say for Caleb, I mean, in, in the post match at the end of the season, the postseason interview, he said, you know, we're going to go back. We're going to take about a week. We're going to identify where we think we got weaknesses, <clears throat> and we're going to go out and we're going to build the team. We're going to fix the team where we think we have those weaknesses. And, you know, fullback, center back, right winger, you know, forward, and a goalkeeper. And within, what was it, uh, an hour and 45 minutes, every 15 minutes there was a string of information coming out from the Timbers when they could do that, make the releases. And and they did that. Now now they got to... You know the the style has to come out on the pitch again. Yeah, which is fun, and they did get a new goalkeeper. They, which was interesting. I mean, it was literally it came down right. It literally came down right as everything was going. Anyway, Chris Kennedy didn't get to um, call in today. Obviously, next week is going to be Christmas week. If we can get our guests to call, if we can get an absolute confirmation of the call in, we will do a show, we'll do a normal seven o'clock show. Hopefully by Monday, Chris and I will know if we will get it. And we'll be honest with you, it's a Timbers person. I'm not going to gloss. It. We've said his name a number of times here, but if we can get this, Chris and I will be on air next week. If not, I don't, I'm not going to bug you guys on Christmas week. I'm, I assume I assume you, Chris, are going to have a lot of stuff to do with your family during Christmas week. So and I'm going to be home with my father, and I, and what, I know my father doesn't mind me doing the podcast because he does listen every now and then. But we'll give you guys a couple weeks to think about soccer, and and then if we do if we don't come back, you'll see you'll hear us in the new year. Next year's going to be even better and a lot more fun. So. Anyway, um, what are you are you writing anything? Do you have anything to be written this week? Um, yeah, actually, I am. I'm going to be. I think I'm going to put together an article on luck or unlucky. Um, and and the reason why is because the my relationship of the data analysis that I do is so strong. It's like 0.85 or 0.86 for the statistics folks out there. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that information and I'm gonna. Sp- um, and I'm not going to manipulate the data, but I'm going to look to see how I can quantify luck based upon that information. So that, that'll be the challenge. And I'm going to try to push something out on Colorado uh, and a couple other team, uh, teams for their end-of-season analysis. So, so that's kind of what's on the plate, plus getting caught up with Europe. Anyhow, we'll, uh, thanks for uh, the time. I th- we've probably got about another minute or so, Stephen, or about that. Um, I, and also, I want to do. I want to thank Daryl Webster. He's a uh, he's a Manchester City. He's a Manchester City fan up north of me in Toronto. He sent me his book, Pride and Travel: A Title-Winning Season, Exploring the World of Manchester City, in the mail the other day. I want to. I want everybody to go out and buy it. It's Pride and Travel. You can get it on. You can get it on the Manchester City Superstore. 
And please go and follow. Part of it's hilarious. It's a guy who decided to fall in love with soccer, found Man City, and travels the world to watch Man City at a different at a different pub with a different supporters club each time. And he goes through the different like culture. And it would have been interesting if he he got out to see Portland. Anyway, if we see you, talk to you guys next week. I'm Stephen Brandt. He's Chris Clark. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.